Well, there you have another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero, and hosted by the Heroes Media Group. This particular Army veteran, Special Forces veteran, Lane Ballone, is out to help people in their lives, help businesses be everything they can be. It's not the cliche Army commercial. His philosophy on global travel is second to none. He's working with some mutual friends of ours to create better lives uh, for their clients and for their friends and their networks. Listen to this. Uh, I think you'll learn something. And I definitely appreciate you tuning in again for another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. Thank you. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. You gotta light them up. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset. For combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. Our guest today on Straight Out of Combat Radio is Mr. Lane Ballone. Lane is a former U.S. Army Special Forces. For those who don't know, that's the Green Beret. And he who has traveled to dozens of countries on six different continents who now helps people achieve high performance and gain fulfillment in life through travel. I'm going to love this interview. Um, We love to travel. He uses his experience to clear mental blocks and gain life-changing clarity in weeks, sometimes days. Remarkable. He creates breakthrough experiences abroad to create life-transformative change in his clients. Lane grew up in Oklahoma and served in the military from 2005 to 2017, most of which as a Green Beret. During his service, he deployed to Iraq twice, Northern Africa, and all over Europe. During his adult life, and you know we can probably question that, he has climbed mountains, survived the Arctic, and many other physical feats of extraordinary nature. Upon discharge from the military, Lane and his wife took a three-month road trip across the great United States of America, visiting 37 countries and even more cities. They moved to Panama to live as vagabonds, where they currently reside, but I'm told through the grapevine that they are on their way back to Colorado very soon. Anyhow, welcome, Lane. I'm excited and stoked to have you on Straight Out of Combat Radio. I know that you're working with a, another mutual friend. You guys are like big-time partners, uh, Stephen Kuhn, but I'm just honored and humbled to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me, John. It's a, it's a great honor to be here. Well, thank you for that. And uh, anyhow, I don't want to mess this up. You know, I'm new at this computer thing. But anyhow, tell us a little bit about your household growing up. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. And it was a, um, you know, we had a couple of houses and, you know, grew up a single mom. And one of the things that uh, really looking back that I really learned from my mom is is resourcefulness. Because we didn't have a lot. You know, we didn't have a lot of money, uh, had, a, you know, had a lot of hand-me-downs and really just didn't have a whole, whole lot of stuff, but we did have like love. We had, uh, she, she cared about me and my sister and, uh, it was living and growing up in a small town was a great place for me to, to grow up. And, uh, yeah, I'm grateful to have that experience as, as a, as a young kid in, in Oklahoma. And then, um, you know, years later, 
not not expecting to travel the globe. Um, I mean, I think that my my kid self would would look up and say, "Man, that's uh, that's pretty cool." That is cool. Let me ask you this: so, single mom, you know, I married a single mom. I know all about that. And who were your mentors growing up? I mean, did you have military background in your family? Did you know what you were going to do? You know, and who did you look up to? Yeah, so I didn't have uh, a huge military uh, like presence mentor. We had a couple people in my family that were in the military, but they never really talked about it too much. My grandfather uh, served in World War II, and then my uncle was in the Navy for a little while, uh, but they didn't talk about it too much. And I was pretty young, and I didn't really ask too many questions about that stuff. Um, as far as mentors, one of the biggest ways that I was mentored and had positive influence in my life was actually the Boy Scouts. Um, it was it was a great experience to, you know, always be out in the outdoors, constantly learning stuff. And with the structure of the Boy Scouts the way it is, you're striving for the next rank. And it was a great um, way to pursue achievement in, in, incremental, in, in incremental ways. And so with the Boy Scouts, that came uh, specific males in my life that were, were helping me, guiding me. Uh, mentoring me in, in many different ways. So, uh, Boy Scouts was a huge way for me to grow as as a young young boy into a, a young adult. Also, sports. Uh, of course, I had a great coach, Coach Lippy. He's actually um, a superintendent uh, in Oklahoma for a different a different city. He coached and uh, won a state championship about I think six years ago or so. He was a great role model for me for setting the right mindset. Um, setting, you know, thinking about achievement in such a way and just really guiding me. Um, and just those were the, the two biggest things, I think, coaches and uh, Boy Scouts. Definitely two big things in one's life. You know, did you did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be? And I was joking, you know, when you grow up because you're definitely grown up. But did you have a childhood dream? Did you, did you have any idea? No, no, not at all. And that was kind of uh, – you know, the reason why I joined the military, uh, it's not a glorious one. Uh, it's, it's really, it's pretty funny. My, uh, one of my best friends from my hometown, him and I were thinking about, all right, what are we going to do when we get out of high school? I was thinking, oh yeah, maybe we should do college. And he's like, oh yeah, I heard about this army thing. And, uh, so we ended up playing rock, paper, scissors for it. Best, best two out of three. And so he ended up winning we both joined the military, and that's how that's how it happened. From there, I didn't have much direction on where you know where I wanted to go, or what career I wanted to pursue, um, but I always had a like a feeling that I was meant for something bigger. And whether that was people telling me that, saying, "Oh yeah, you're gonna do great things," you know, you know, as I was you know moving through the ranks of the Boy Scouts, playing sports and stuff like that, uh, whether that was that influence of them telling me that that message and me internalizing it or if it was something that I always had internally and I was just expressing it through thought through through thought uh, you know I don't I'm not sure but in either case every time I took a step forward in life uh, it, was, it was always a step forward and, and it seemed like always to a step step uh, upward so yeah the, the direction wasn't there the big vision wasn't there as, as a young kid but I was just taking step by step nice you know where did you go to basic training at uh, believe, yeah, believe it or not, although you know, I you know, I eventually became a Green Beret. I started out as an Intel analyst, and so where is that? Uh, Fort Huachuca. 
Yeah, so the that's the AIT, the Advanced Individual Individual Training is Fort Huachuca, Arizona. Uh, I went to basic at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and you know, it was, looking back, it was, it was relatively easy, of course. Uh, even you know, looking back on selection uh, for special forces, it was relatively easy, but but uh, it's all relative. At the time, it was it was a difficult thing for me to go through both both of those uh, events. But yeah, it was. Uh, just taking step by step and you know i didn't have this huge uh grand vision you know until really until about three or four years ago um but i was just taking it step by step that's sometimes a good way you know we hear about you know people stay you know trapped in the past and then they're all anxious about the future but what you just pointed out lane is very significant you know if people can learn to take things step by step and realize that maybe the place where they're at is something temporary and maybe towards a bigger picture so you know we can get back to that um so you so you, you go down to, to fort Huachuca after jackson and you're in military intelligence i know people make jokes about that but you know that that the, the, we, we are intelligent people in the military and uh, what was that like being down in arizona uh, Arizona was cool. Actually, Arizona was where I, I uh, was born. Uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, but I was born in, in uh, Arizona. Arizona, I was there for six months, and it was uh, a time for me to ex- experience uh, new culture in, 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 a, in a different way. Because growing up in Oklahoma, the demographic, you could say, was was pretty slim, I guess you could say. And I wasn't exposed to a lot of different kinds of cultures, different kinds of even foods. Uh, and so the military, by just having that, uh, those kinds of all kinds of people around me, I was able to just experience it. It was a really uh, interesting time for me to just kind of get to know people from different walks of life. And, uh, you know, I made some good friends. You know, then, then after Wachuca for six months, my first duty station was Germany, which was for me was incredible. It was uh, it was what what I wished for because I guess uh, I performed at a certain level and they have uh, certain uh, wish lists um, in the for, for your duty station and so yeah Germany was my first duty station and uh, we can talk about that if you'd like well yeah absolutely we can get to Germany and uh, so you're down there with all the square cactuses and then uh, you get selected to go to Germany uh, you made a lot of good friends you're, you're you're again like you said you're taking it one step at a time and Tell us a little bit about Germany, and then how did you get to your first combat deployment? Yeah, so Germany was was pretty cool. I, that's just where I started to love, learn to love travel, if you will. Uh, my first kind of big trip was actually with my grandma, nonetheless. Uh, she came and visited. We did a Euro trip, visited uh, four or five different countries. And during that trip, uh, while spending some time in Zurich, Switzerland, you know, we had we were at this restaurant and we were having a conversation with it was me, my grandma, and this older couple, and they were all talking about life, politics, languages, travel, all this kind of stuff. And I was just sitting there. I was just like, man, you know, I'm not able to contribute to the conversation. You know, of course I should be listening because they know a lot more than I do. They've experienced a lot more, and I was just soaking it all in. But at the same time, I felt like, man, I want to be able to contribute. And so that was a pivotal moment for me to to really go out of myself and, and learn and experience a whole bunch of new different things in life. And so, you know, I started, you know, I stayed in Germany for about a year and a half or two or yeah, about a year and a half or so. And that's where I uh, actually 
went to um, a briefing for Special Forces selection. And it, we, I saw this poster on the shop at door. It said, hey, you want to join Special Forces? You know, come to this briefing. And I was like, ah, I didn't even know what Special Forces was. You know, young, I was 18 years old. And, but it intrigued me. And, and, and to, you know, to be honest, you know, the, the job that I had wasn't the job that I thought I was going to have. It wasn't what I anticipated. I thought I was going to be gathering intel on the ground and doing all this kind of cool stuff. But it was quite the opposite. If, what, if were anybody, you asked, what were you yeah. asking? Well, we can't let the Russians hear that. No, but no, but uh, <laughs> just saying, you know, the deal. So, yeah, so yeah, I get it. I mean, I get it. I've heard that yeah. from quite a few people and even, you know, my MOS, which was NBC, you know, we weren't doing the things we were trained to do all the time either. So, yeah. Yeah. So I went to this brief and it was in an auditorium near uh, the bowling alley. And uh, so I walk in and it was like a normal auditorium. You, you walk in from the back and there's a big projector in the front playing this video of just cool guys just doing cool stuff, blowing stuff up, shooting guns, jump out of planes, you know, all this cool stuff. I was like, man, I don't know what that is, but I want to do it. And and so I just I signed up there uh, for uh, selection about three or four months later. Uh, I ended up going to selection, got selected, and then went, went through the, 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 the Special Forces Qualification course, which is about a two-year pipeline, survival training, small unit tactics, language, I was an engineer, uh, so construction, demolitions, uh, and of course, uh, property book stuff. Was that <laughs> all in Europe? Was that in Europe, or was that, you came back to the states for that? <clears throat> yeah, so this is all in uh, North Carolina, so, okay. uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So this is a two-year thing, and so at this point, I, I hadn't hadn't deployed yet, and my old the, the unit that I left, they were deploying or they were deployed as I was in this training for two years, and so I just continued with my training. Uh, and finally ended up earning my Green Beret. And then uh, my first duty station as a Green Beret was in Col- uh, Colorado. And so as soon as I got there, they said, okay, yeah, your unit's downrange. So you're going to have to do a quick training. Uh, well, it's about a month and a half training. And did that. And then basically shipped out to Iraq and did some more training at the kind of a, the headquarters uh, for, for my unit at, at, at the time. And then they told me, okay, you're going to go to your go to your ODA, your Special Forces Detachment Alpha, and uh, <clears throat> and so that's that's where that's where I uh, you know got to my first team was was downrange and I and I met up with them, um, and to you know to be honest, you know being the new guy, I got the silent treatment for that pretty much that whole deployment. Uh, you know I was taught what I needed to be taught, uh, trained on what I needed to be trained, but it was one of those things where like look, man, you're the new guy, so you're going to have to do all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. Uh, you're going to have to train twice as harder. You're going to have to learn twice as much because you don't know hardly anything. Because although going through you know, special forces training for two years, at the end of it, you're very well trained, but at the same time, you got a long way to go before you become a, an experienced operator. And so that, that during that entire trip, uh, you know, I was constantly learning, constantly doing the, the grunt work, uh, we'd go on missions and I was just kind of, you know, I wasn't doing the cool guy stuff, uh, just doing the things where the new guy does, uh, running the gun. What year which, was that? What year was that? Yeah. So this is 2009. So this is, this is later in the, you know, in the Iraq campaigns. And so, 
Um, a lot of a lot of stuff had already been figured out, and you know we were just kind of running running operations, and, and it wasn't too wasn't too bad. Did you know why you did you know did you know why you were there still, even as late as two thousand and nine? Well, at the, so at this time I was still pretty young. Uh, I was E five, uh, you know, freshly minted green beret, and you know I was just going there and doing what I what I thought what what I needed to do. And as far as the overall big picture, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out. So that deployment I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't aware, you know, I was focused on, you know, again, that kind of next step, um, because I had a lot to learn. So it was really that, that kind of like six inches in front of my face, like, what do I need to do to make sure that I don't mess up and that I'm, uh, well-trained that, you know, cause you know, being in combat, like it's, you know, not every single moment is life and death. There's many, many opportunities where like, yes, you need to have your stuff figured out. You need to be squared away. Yeah. You need to... <clears throat> Think, think through the SOPs, ensure that you know every single contingency plan for every part of the plan or the mission. And uh, that's a lot to learn for a you know, brand new buck sergeant. <laughs> so Absolutely. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff was right there that, that I had to do. So the, the bigger picture, the, you know, the strategic look, the macro view uh, wasn't there at the time. Let me ask you this. So what experiences during that first deployment do you think you know, impacted you the most? And then what kept you focused you know because you're in a hostile environment it's not like you know getting cotton candy at the local fair you know you have to learn but you're still under stress you know what do you think impacted you the most oh, well actually, i actually haven't thought that, thought about that too much uh so but as as far as focus um of course whenever your your life is potentially on the line at any moment uh, of course um, anybody that's been deployed, like not every single moment, you're like constantly thinking that you're in danger. Uh, there are moments of heightened awareness, of course, and there's moments where you're not, you're not thinking about it too much actually. Um, but always having that potential of like, man, this, this, uh, you know, something could go down. So like that, uh, that being aware and in the present moment, um, really gave me the focus, uh, because you never know what's going to happen next. So, you're constantly thinking about contingency plans. Uh, what if this happens? What if that happens? Uh, but not in a paranoid way, but just in a, in a prepared way that you just um, eventually through uh, enough thinking about what's going to happen, you've thought about most of the situations that are that are most likely. And so you develop this sense of knowing that pretty much anything that happens, uh, especially stuff that has happened before, I, I know what to do. And so that you you uh, build that confidence, and that's you know that that ultra focus in the beginning of you know you don't never know what's going to happen, is, is what allowed me to 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 remain focused, because we all know complacency, you know kills you know and you can you can get complacent. Absolutely, you know, is there any you know good or bad? Can you think of, during that first deployment lane, uh, of any particular experience that? Uh, that that was memorable that impacted you that changed the way you looked at things in life can you think of any one thing um you know for you know my deployment wasn't uh you know it was later on the war so there wasn't a lot of gunslinging you know on on my deployment you know we did missions we uh we did raids um nothing crazy i guess you could say happened or something that might you know give me ptsd right nothing happened like that 
as far as you know impact it was an experience you know of course that i'll never forget just being there you know somewhat isolated uh, a, a very small corner of the of the world uh, especially you know for us we were on a a really small you know it wasn't a camp i guess you could call it a camp but it was just you know just my team uh, oda plus uh three or four detachment or uh, attachments and then we had our, our partner force and you know that was it in the middle of the city um so being isolated like that i guess you know gave, gave me a, a a feeling of like you know you gotta you gotta have your stuff taken care of because um, you because you never know what what could could go go down or whatever you know, the interaction with the Iraqi people, you know, looking back on it now, you know, what was that like? You said you guys went out on raids. We don't have to go into specific details, but how did those people feel about us? Probably didn't like us, did they? Yeah, so at this point, um, you know, I think, well, of course, things were kind of winding down. My interaction was always pretty, pretty rel- relatively good. We had pretty good relationships with uh, the Iraqis. You know, looking back on it, you know, they, it was like a, I guess, mutual relationship, I guess. Uh, we were there to do a, a mission. They were there um, to, to do a mission, but they were, you know, also there to um, try to, I guess, try to benefit in, in a certain way. So uh, my feeling is that they didn't want to ruin that in, in certain in certain aspects. But, um, yeah, the relationship was, and, and again, this is coming from an E5, so... Uh, even looking back now, um, it's uh, you know it's difficult to because um, I wasn't privy to I guess you could say some I don't want to say politics, but I guess some of it was was uh, political in nature. Um, so uh, you know I, I saw the building of a relationship between you know our team and, and our uh, partner force, you know stuff like that. It was you know as an E5 kind of I guess you could say lower level. Um, was was always pretty good. How did the second deployment differ from the first? Yeah, so the second one, uh, our team, we had we basically kind of had two different deployments within the deployment. Special forces t- typically have shorter deployments than than other kinds of units. So uh, it was about a six month deployment. For the first couple months, we were in a you know a, a fairly large base uh, attached to a a conventional base in uh, Diwania, and uh, so we so we were doing you know missions for about a month or so, a month and a half, and then we got uh, retasked or we got tasked to Green Zone, and so basically there was um, you know we got attached to the headquarters of uh, you know one of the special operations units for Iraq, and you know so it was a uh, it was definitely a, a completely different kind of deployment. Uh, it was more political in nature. Uh, I got to, see, you know, I was an uh, advisor for uh, Iraqi generals, you know, as a as a young E6, and so it was a completely different kind of deployment. Um, both the first ha- the first couple months and then the the following four months or so. Interesting. So, two deployments within a deployment sounds like there's a story there, um, <laughs> a good story. And uh, you know, first of all, I'm glad you made it back. You know, there's a lot of guys that didn't come back and gals. And, you know, that's important to come back to be able to tell your story. Um, we're listening to Mr. Lane Ballone, United States Special Forces veteran here on Straight Out of Combat Radio, telling his story about his second deployment. Um, can you tell us 
uh, about your transition out of the service and, and, and how did you make that decision? And, you know, what was that like? Yeah, so arguably one of the most difficult things to do for me uh, because, you know, after my second deployment, you know, my, my unit turned into a uh, specialized counterterrorism unit within the special forces community. And so I, many schools later, sniper, uh, CQB, uh, specialty schools, surveillance, urban surveillance, you know, technical surveillance, all this, all these different trainings. And then of course, uh, Northern Africa. So all of this behind my belt after these first initial deployments, uh, to Iraq, you know, I became, you know, a team sergeant, which is E8 position as E7. Uh, and then of course doing some, a lot of stuff in the Arctic mountain climbing and stuff like that. All this stuff behind me, I had to make the decision. Do I keep going? Because it was, this was t- 12 years in service by the time I got out. And so about year 11, I had to make a decision. Do I give up all of this achievement, all this expertise that I was uh, building, this mastery at, at learning learning uh, different mission sets within the special forces community? Uh, do I give that up? And I was, I was very good at, at uh, continuing to hone in on my, on my craft and, and to, to walk away from something that you're really good at is, is a very difficult thing. But ultimately, it came up to the decision of uh, I wanted to help people in a different way. And I had been helped, you know, like I said before, scouts and coaching uh, through sports, you know, growing up. And then every place I went in the military, somebody was helping me. Someone was guiding me. Uh, helping me up and the that aspect of mentorship was instilled in me that that now it's it's my turn to to give back and, and lending help a helping hand to somebody and so that that feeling that or that calling that I wanted to say you know what that's this is what I want to do and this and and I want to do it on my own terms um, the military and special forces you know we did a lot of cool stuff uh, learned a lot of a lot of great things, traveled a lot, but ultimately, it was a mission handed down to me, um, whether the mission was cool or, or or whether it wasn't. But ultimately, I wanted to hand down or I wanted to create my own mission and do the things and give back in, in which way that I felt uh, resonated with me the most. And my and and so that's the you know my own mission was the first thing, and the second thing was. You know, in my experience with uh, the military, and uh, if you're a good uh, soldier, most of the time you're not a good family man. These these two don't always, or these two mostly aren't the same. A lot of times you have to make the decision: which one am I going to be? Which which one is going to be a priority? Because so kind of like, hang on, like, am I going to be married to the army, or am I going to be <laughs> married to something else? Which could be a wife. Yeah, yeah wife and family and, and all that. So um, for me, being all in was something that I that, – that's just who I am. Like, I'm going to give it my best. And to be able to give my best to my wife and to give best to the military, they, were, they weren't necessarily opposites. But I, would, I wouldn't be able to give my all to both uh, because if I wanted to be the best Green Beret that I could, I would have to sacrifice family time. On the on the on the opposite, if I wanted to be uh, the best family man I could be, then I would have to probably be not as good of a soldier as I could be. And so that with that decision in mind, 
I, I knew that I had to, to get out of the military uh, because I wanted to have create my own mission and help and mentor in the, in the, the way that, that resonates with me. And I wanted to take care and, and support my family uh, the best way that I could. And so ultimately leaving uh, the military, leaving the Green Berets uh, was, a, was a difficult decision, but I knew that, that my calling was higher um, and that, that I needed to you know, pursue this, this journey or this path that I'm on right now. That's great. You know, and it does take, you know, courage to honor your, you know, your internal fire. And, and, you know, it is, it is an individual decision. You know, some people have gone on 20, 30, 40 year um, careers in both the civilian world and, or the military world. So that's commendable to be able to identify that. Were you married while you were in the service then? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I got married in 2013 and that was just before we moved to, to Germany, which was my final duty station. And we were there for three years. And that's where I ended up getting out was uh, stationed in Germany again. And so, um, yeah. So how do you think that you're using, and we're going to get to that. So the transition, do you think that they gave you a lot in your transition? Did you get enough, you know, when you were when you finally left and came back? Was yeah, so... So, oh, you're talking about from the military? Yes. Uh, yeah. So, um, my transition was, well, I think anybody's transition is based on what they make of it and what they put into it. Um, because I was a, um, a high performer, even within the special forces community, I was taken care of on my way out. You know, I got treated very well. Um, I was allowed the time to trans transition, to take the, the preparatory classes of getting out of the military, uh, all that stuff. So that transitional period was relatively smooth because I had built up the reputation and I had helped my team and my unit in a, in a lot of different ways um, that, that basically allowed me to have a little bit of more leniency, I guess you could say, as I was getting out. Um, so the, uh, the transition w was pretty good. Um, for somebody that that is listening to this, that is contemplating transitioning out or getting out of the military, uh, I, I think the greatest advice uh, that I could give would be to, as early as possible, think long term. And so the earlier that you start thinking long term, the better prepared you're going to be for if it's doesn't matter if it's transition or uh, the purpose that you have right now in life. Uh, or how you treat people, um, you know, doesn't matter what it is. The, the earlier that you can think long term, your transition period, uh, getting out of the military will be that much smoother because anytime we think long term, uh, we understand that the smaller details actually kind of fall by the wayside and, and they get figured out because we understand that the small things really don't matter. Uh, of course, we have to take care of them, but a lot of, a lot of times if you think only – like, oh, man, I got to take care of all these things. You can get worried. They're like, oh, man, I'm not taking care of them. But if you think long term, you know that you have to do some stuff right now. But you know that, that the long term vision is going to pull you, you know, in a direction to where that you're going to be able to, to, to get through all this stuff because cause your vision is, so, is, is, uh, is figured out long term. Well, you, you know, you talked a little bit about that, you, you know, when you came to that point to make that decision that you with the desires and the things you want to do now, you had another calling and, and the military obviously wasn't going to be able to give you the environment to take you to that next step. 
you know, so this internal desire to help people, you know, is what it sounds like is motivating you today. You know, what kind of, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, but what kind of legacy, if you think about the things that you're starting to do now, obviously you'll be back in the States soon, but what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind or create? Yeah. So, you know, legacy, you know, I've thought a lot about it and I think it goes in phases because initially you're thinking, okay, what am I going to leave behind? And, uh, ultimately for me, it's just doing or knowing that I always did what I, what I wanted to do in that moment. And the, the history of me, the book that I'm writing is going to, is going to write itself. Um, of course, having a, a grand vision for, uh, what I'm, what I'm aiming towards and, and, um, you know, big, it's big things. It's, it's, um, it's changing the entrepreneurial world. Um, it's changing, um, the way we look at travel. It's uh, helping solidify a mind, uh, solidify a mindset that, you know, divisiveness doesn't have to exist if we don't want it to. And, you know, so these, these things are these big ideas of making the world a better place, um, for not only me and everybody else to live in right now, but for, you know, all of our children and our, and our, you know, posterity to say, you know what, let's, let's, let's continue to always create a, a better world than, you know, kind of how we found it. And so those are, those are the things that kind of drive me. And, uh, you know, it's, everybody has their own mission. Every, uh, everybody can help the world uh, in a different way because we're all, we're all different we're all, we all have different purposes. Um, what I'm doing is what resonates with me, and I'll continue on this path until uh, that that the next chapter uh, comes comes to fruition. You know, I think there's a quote out there somewhere that says, I think it might be Steve Jobs. You know, the people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that can do it. It sounds so cliche, but those that really have that fire that understand that get it. You know. Even in my particular business, before I had my accident, I, I led guided trips to the Andes for 15 years. And one thing that you hit upon, Lane, which is freaking very important, is that the rest of the world doesn't live like we do here in the States. And one of the coolest things that I did when we were traveling and taking people on these expeditions was the transformation that we saw in these Americans that had never been outside the country. And take them up on the mountainside in Bolivia or Peru somewhere and let them come back two weeks later and see this remarkable transition for a person that becomes more well-rounded and respects other peoples of different cultures. And so what you're doing, don't underestimate it. I know you don't, but for anybody listening, don't ever underestimate the power, transformative power of travel. Uh, I think it's awesome. Um, tell us about your book. So yeah, so I uh, well, it was, it was more of a guide. The travel, you know, I I, I developed uh, a specific way of, of traveling, and, and a mindset of travel really. And it's about it's centered around under, taking travel and knowing how to uh, get the most out of it. A lot of it is just um, not or being exposed to what travel is and, and how to operate it uh, or to travel confidently. Because a lot of times people don't travel because they don't know what's going on or they, they've never done it. So they, so they, they don't have the experience and they don't have the knowledge. And so that, that lack of confidence or knowledge oftentimes stops them from traveling at all. The last time I looked at it, it was about 9% of the, the United States population had a passport. And I think it, it might be growing 
because uh, certain states are actually uh, requiring a passport for any kind of air, air, airline travel uh, and not accepting like a state state uh, issued ID. Uh, but yeah, the, this this uh, concept of travel is uh, you know, near and dear. And for for you know those that are listening, four key takeaways or four elements that you can embed into your tra- next travel uh, are these: discomfort, education, solitude, and connection. So if you add these four elements every single day as you're traveling, you will set up the con- conditions for you to grow as a person. And so by embedding these different aspects or elements to your travels, it's, it, it allows you to get outside of your comfort zone and say, you know what, there's a, there's a different part of the world that I don't know. And I've, I've never known that I didn't know, <laughs> or I didn't know that I didn't know. Right. And so, you know, this, this, this whole idea of transformative travel, a lot of times seems intuitive because we all hear the cliches of, oh yes, I'm going to, you know, go travel and my, I'm going to change my perspective. Um, but that, those words and that concept is so deep that it, you can't really fully understand it until you actually try it yourself. And, you know, you and I, we could talk about it all day about these people have these transformative experiences when they did this and they had this life changing moment when they did that and they went and visited this place and these peoples. And yeah, it's, it makes sense. It's, it's intuitive almost, but until you actually do it, then you're not going to really fully understand the scope of, of what we're talking about. And it's, and, you know, so I, I challenge anybody that's listening to this right now, um, take a week and a half abroad somewhere and implement those four, those four elements and then just see what happens. I, you know, and, and as simple as it sounds, oftentimes the most simple things, the simple concepts, even the simple exercises uh, can have such profound and powerful uh, results because of it. You know, it's... <laughs> It's something pretty cool that you just said. You know, a friend asked me one time, I, you know, I, I said, you know, describe mountaineering, you know, high altitude, acute mountain sickness. You're on a rope. It's cold. You can't eat. You got headaches. You can't breathe at night. And he goes, you know, John, it's whoever suffers the best. So what you just said about discomfort, whenever we would take a trip, we would take a group of people. The people that fought the discomfort were the ones that had a miserable time. The people that went with it and said, you know what, okay, this is something new, had the most life-changing experiences of ever. And so I'm glad you pointed that out, Lane, because to me, this life is whoever suffers the best. And it's exactly what you just said. It's intuitive, and it can be counterintuitive the way we say it, but to me, it's you, you can never escape some of the challenges that can be painful of living your life. And so you just hit upon something really cool. You know, it's, it's really whoever understands discomfort, realizes it's temporary, and it's part of the gig. So yeah. kudos to you on that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, just accepting it and going with the flow and knowing that this is part of the process. This is part of the journey. And, you know, in a, in a book that we both like to you know, read, it talks about success and failure. And it says that success and failure are on the same spectrum. They're not opposites. They're just different spectrum, spectrums of achievement. So what's the name of that book, Lane? What is it? It's, uh, I actually have it right here. It's called uh, A Happy Pocket Full of Money. Yeah. 
it's been a great book. You know, it's it's a if anybody that that listen or that reads these kinds of books or listens to them, Think and Grow Rich was one that I had read I think about ten years ago, and it kind of resonated. Like, uh, but there I felt that there were a lot of missing pieces. But after I read this book, uh, Happy Pocket Full of Money, like everything just clicked. Like, uh, it, you know, of course. It, it was the exact book that I needed to read at that particular moment. It just laid out everything so concretely, and I felt like like that's where it really um, filled in the gaps where uh, the book Think and Grow Rich for me uh, just kind of didn't have that concreteness about it. That's, yeah, and, and you're you're correct on that. You know, I think I read that book Think and Grow Rich probably in 1988. You know, when I was still in school, but you know. And that's a good book, but it did have some gaps in it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, reading is like, you know, to be able to read will definitely expand your mind. doesn't mean you have to believe everything that you read, but at least it gives you an opportunity to see other points of view. Let me ask you this. What is, you know, and then we're going to talk about a couple of things, how people can contact you and, you know, the things that you're doing with Stephen Kuhn, a mutual friend. But let me ask you this, you know, what is freedom? Oh, and by the way, here's another good book. This is kind of interesting. You're going to love this. It's called Storming Heaven. And don't let the title scare you. Okay. LSD <laughs> in the American Dream. We're not here to promote drug usage. But this is an interesting <laughs> book. Talk about giving you a unique perspective. But anyhow, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And, and what does freedom mean to you? Yeah, freedom, you know, everybody should have their own definition of freedom, just like everybody should have their own definition of success. And so with that... Uh, freedom for me is doing the things that I love and making the most impact that I can right now. And so understanding that my freedom today will be different than my freedom next year will be different than five years from now and so on and so forth. So freedom uh, for me is, I guess, relative and uh, being able to, you know, currently I live abroad, travel almost everywhere I want to go pretty much at any time just continuing to build off of that kind of freedom. So for me, freedom is, is being able to travel uh, and I have my own you know, personal goals centered around how often I travel um, and being able to make the, the greatest impact. And those, those two things have, uh, I guess, second and third order effects or, or I guess a lot of things have to be figured out before those things can happen. Just like with, if you can't help yourself first, it's gonna be more difficult for you to help other people. So figuring out yourself, who you are, what you want, once that's figured out, you can create, you know, or you can have that much more impact on that much more people. Um, so yeah, that's freedom. Um, and what was the other question? Where do you, no, 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 it's all good. So, you know, SF guy, force multiplier, affect as many people as you can, you know, train them up, get them to live their life in a more fulfilling manner. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh yeah, five years. Um, it's difficult to to say, but uh, so there's a couple of things that you know that I'm working on. But I really want in five years, I would say millions of people impacted based on you know a lot of the stuff that Stephen Kuhn and I are doing together, sharing the the hit concept, honesty, integrity, and transparency, focusing on the the veteran entrepreneur space, um, and and elevating a higher standard for entrepreneurship um, by implementing HIT into that, uh, into that space. 
and because transparency, uh, honesty is just going to continue to to grow in the in the near future, in my opinion. And so by being ahead of the curve and just l- operating in a state of integrity, you're going to reap the benefits of be- being on that leading edge of operating in, in just an honest way and and making an impact, solving problems, and, and just being overall being a good, happy person. And so, you know, one of my one of my biggest missions that, that's that it's, it's not the right time exactly right now because a few things have to be figured out. But I really want to inspire a large percentage of the population in the United States to travel abroad to experience that thing or that country or that neighborhood or that uh, you know maybe it's you know, you know a little bit of poverty in a, in a foreign country, whatever it is that for them to open their eyes about the world and, and how they perceive it. Um, cause oftentimes, you know, and I'm sure that you've experienced it many, many times uh, that whenever you travel and you, and you, and it's, it's not about comparing, but it's just a natural thing that we tend to do. Uh, when you see a, a people or a group of people or a nation, you know, living in a certain way, you you start to realize that, man, I actually got it pretty good where I'm at. And I should probably stop complaining, and I should, uh, I should probably uh, get along with my neighbor a little bit better, um, because although you know you, you it'll, it might happen in twofold that you see the contrast of like how good you may have it, and then you also see, man, we're all kind of alike in a lot of different ways, and you know we start to see that similarity, and then whenever you go back to, you know, your community, your state, whatever it is in the U.S., then you're able to see, you know what. You know, we're actually not too different after all. As as much as we want to look at differences, it's uh, you know, we're, we're mostly similar. No, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, one thing, you know, our 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 skin color might be different, our hair color might be different. The countries we live in are obviously different. You know, between the human species, but you know what? But we bleed red. The blood color is all the same, and that's something that we tend to forget at times, you know, and one thing that you hit upon that I really enjoyed hearing was, you know, technology has allowed people to basically be whoever they want to be. And sometimes it's not real. And you talk about integrity and you talk about transparency and sometimes, you know, like the program that you're talked about is so badly needed to be able to help people through the minefield of this techno world in which we live in you know in an age of instant gratification and 45 second attention spans you know even with this right now and i can see your face and you can see mine even though we're using modern technology there's still this interaction of communication and we're not going to hide from each other and i know now what you look like and if i need to call lane i can call lane and i know that that's him it's not just somebody that I've never met before, and even though you're way over there and I'm way over here, but what the point that I'm getting at is that it takes a real skill set, and it does take, we hear this all the time, it takes a village or a community, but it takes a network. And if you can create a network of people that have similar ideas or just want to live a fulfilled life, this is the way to do it. And... I got to tell you, you know, my life got rearranged at 52 with a bump on the head. The business world is different now than it was when I was coming up back in the late 80s. It's just different. And so it's taken me a while to meet you, Lane, but the universe, it's working. 
and I know it's working because some of the people that are, and you talked about step by step, but some of the people that are starting to come into my AO are some of the most exciting movers and shakers that I've ever met. And guys like you and Stephen Kuhn and some of the others that we've had on the show, those are the people that I want to be with. And a team of true believers can really make things happen. And that's why this is an exciting time, too, to be an entrepreneur. Now, that's... Yeah, I agree. never had that yeah, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, I think that uh, entrepreneurs can be the keystone community, spe- specifically in the U.S., because they're, they're the, the movers and shakers. They're the ones with the vision. They're the ones that take a lot of action. They're the ones that create revenue. They're the ones that create jobs. They're the ones that, that can take all of those things and create a huge impact with a relatively small amount of people. Although, of course, they, you know, entrepreneurs you know, number in the millions. But when you look at the population as a whole in the United States and even grander in the, in the, you know, in the entire world, by having that, entre- you know, that focus on entrepreneurs, like that, that's a, a keystone community of, of people that could just makes a huge impact. And, and by instilling honesty, integrity, and transparency into that fold, I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless that, you know, we could create uh, an environment that that is how business is ran and with honesty and integrity and, tra- you know, and transparency and having that as the, as the natural culture of entrepreneurship and business is, uh, is something that I think that could change the world uh, in a very great way. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And there's a <laughs> there and, and and they can and you know and it's and it's it's about education, it's about communication, it's about not ghosting when somebody calls you and leaves a message. You know, it's about simple things like that just following up, but you know, if you say you're going to do something, just do it. It's not difficult to do. And if your intentions or your motives are less than ethical, then take a look at what your core value set is. And maybe you need to think about changing something. Because if you put all that negative energy out there, it's only going to come back to you. And if you put all that positive energy out there, that's going to come back to you too. And I do know this, and even though it's Lane and John, whoever suffers the best, I do know this there's an easier way to sleep at night. And to me, it is on the same principles that you just talked about the hit. Uh, and, and, and it couldn't be better than that. And I agree. I think that people, I think a group of people, a single person can change the world in a positive direction. Um, and doing it through travel is really cool. You're the first guy that I've met, you know, <laughs> that's got some pretty cool philosophies when it comes to that and why you're doing it. How can people contact you, Lane, and for more information? Yeah, so the website is increasefreedom.com, increasefreedom.com. If you want to get a hold of me on social media, it's at increasefreedom. Uh, everything's increasefreedom, just those two words. Um, and, that, and then, you know, I'm very active on Instagram. Uh, I also do a lot of Facebook stuff. Check out the website. So it's, it's one of those things where I love to help people. I'm, not, I'm really easy to get a hold of at the moment. So I, I, I try to follow, you know, cer- certain aspects of, of leadership and people that, I, that I, I, I parcel from. And one of the things that I like about Gary Vee is that he's, he's continued to be uh, accessible. And that's something that I admire and something that, that I strive for. So uh, reach out to me and, 
and we'll, you know, just have a conversation. You know, it's, it's that simple. You know, don't think it, it's, it doesn't have to be any harder than that. That's awesome. So a couple of, a couple of last questions, you know, now that I've got you, you're like jet setting <laughs> everywhere. Um, what kind of message would you like to give to the non-veteran population about veterans and especially combat veterans? What would you like them to know? So, you know, in the veteran space, um, I think people in the veteran space take their principles and their, and their way of life from the military and they bring it to the civilian sector. Uh, I think civilians, uh, I think sometimes, not all the, all the time, they, they pamper uh, veterans. Um, and being able to find that right balance of giving the, the veteran opportunity based on their experiences in life uh, and to give them the opportunity uh, without making it feel like um, the, the veteran's kind of entitled for it or, or it's like charity or anything like that. Um, just by saying, you know what, you did some great stuff. Let's, let's see what you got, you know, and give that opportunity because I think that's what veterans are more, uh, craving is, is opportunity, not, uh, not a, uh, a handout kind of thing. Yeah. Well put. Now, what about those men and women who have worn the uniform? Let's just say, you know, and there's a lot of those folks listening. Let's just say somebody's in a bad place and they just can't seem to to get up out of that what kind of advice would you give them lane yeah so everybody has ups everybody has downs and, and some people's downs are are lower um one of the biggest things that helps me is to um pivot negativity into positivity and so whenever you have a negative thought immediately identify that's a negative thought and you don't have to be associated with it. You can pivot into a positive thought. Um, and, and one of the ways I do that is by looking back at my wins in life, looking back at my achievement, looking back at my healthy relationships, looking back at my good memories. Because oftentimes we need just that reminder that, you know what, my life isn't a failure. Actually, I, I'm, a, I'm a winner, a lot of it. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of things, and I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about generally, that We've all done good things in life. We've all experienced good memories and good relationships and, and achievement in all varying degrees. And if we forget that and we only focus on the bad stuff, it's a, it's a downward spiral. And so by taking that negative thought, identifying it and say, you know what, that's not me. And then pivoting into something positive by either remembering uh, a past achievement or a past good memory or a past win in life. And then saying and saying, what can I do right now to take action towards a a a, uh, a positive future for me? And so that's that's how I that's how I look at it because it's it, I know it it can be it can be difficult to say oh that's that's easy for you you know, but I promise you these simple things like this simple uh, if you want to call it exercise, uh, simple two or three step process uh, is so powerful that. It'll change your day, and and if you do it day after day after day, then you're not going to need to do it for a long time. Roger that. You know, and you said this earlier. Simplicity has a lot to do with it. Let me ask you this: Can you give us a Lane Balone motivational quote? 
something from your something from your heart, man. Well, if you had a quote out there, what would it be? I didn't mean to put you on the spot, man. I just you got Ooh, this. You got yeah. this. <laughs> All right. Um Yeah, so For me, uh, strive to live a life of authenticity. And so when you live a life of authenticity, and it's true authenticity, people will respect that. And you're able to continue to walk life on your own terms. So yeah, I'd say live, live life with true authenticity. Well, there, no, that's perfect, man. There you have Lane Ballone, you know, down in Panama now, soon to be back in Colorado. Words of wisdom. I couldn't meet a more authentic guy than you, Lane, and uh, I'm humbled and honored to have you here on Straight Outta Combat Radio. I know I'm going to be seeing you maybe in Peru. You know, we're still talking that Peru. I know you guys are going down there, but uh, I look forward to the time I can actually meet you in person and. uh I wish you uh, all the best today and every day from here on out. If there's anything that we can ever do here at Green Zone Hero or just me personally or Straight Out Combat Radio, we're in your corner, buddy. That's all I can tell you, and uh, thank you for being here. Well, I appreciate it, John. And, uh, yeah, likewise, best wishes to you and every day and every endeavor that, that you that you uh, journey towards. Peru, I know, let's man. do it. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. I, I know I'm probably going to be there. So, anyhow, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, stay on after this, so talk about a couple more things, but appreciate you being here, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.